Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello and welcome to Reliscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions in life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Aditi Kuti. Let's get on with the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Reloscopes, uh, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. Um, I'm your host, Aditi Kuti, and today I'm joined by Dr. Nicholas Belatius, PhD. Um, he's a psychotherapist from Ontario, Canada, um, who works with both individuals and couples on things like intimacy issue, performance identity, performance identity anxiety, my bad, um, and porn addiction. Um, and you work with young people as well. Am I, am I right in kind of saying that? Uh, yes, fair, fair bit of, you know, range of ages, but certainly young people, uh, as well yeah people for sure um today we're going to be talking about uh relationship anxiety in particular how to deal with someone who has relationship anxiety um or is dealing with relationship anxiety but i guess first we have um a segment where we want to get to know you a little bit more um so i'm gonna just throw you some quick questions and you just have to don't think too hard just give me the first answer that comes to your head are you ready Sure, go ahead. What is your favorite book? Favorite book? Well, I'll say a recent book that I love. Uh, it's 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 obscure. It's by a German psychoanalyst, uh, Wolfgang Giegrich, and he is a Jungian psychoanalyst, and he writes a ton of books that are very challenging, but he has a recent book called What Are the, the Factors That Heal?, and it's it's geared mostly at therapists, but I think uh, if if you're ambitious as a as a reader, a layperson, I think it's it's worth it worthwhile. And one of the things he talks about is kind of the aims of psychotherapy. And and also one thing that I really like is he talks about um, in re- in we're talking about relationships here. He talks about the importance of releasing people into their truths, which. Is a, is a complicated notion, but so many times we we are in relationships with our you know family members or, or partners, and we we want them to change. We want them to to you know twenty five years they haven't given us the love we needed, and he kind of says, well, we need to accept this as a truth, right? Like this is who they are. Um, you know, we're, we're going to drive ourselves crazy trying to change this person. And, and, and that kind of, sometimes it's called radical acceptance, I think is a very, um, important, but difficult, uh, difficult thing to achieve. But that's a, that's a book I, 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 I really like probably none of your listeners have heard of it, but, but I would, I would definitely plug it. But they might go check it out now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about your favorite movie? Uh, I'm going to give you another recent movie that I, I love or I really liked. It was, it was a Danish movie 
called Another Round. I don't know if you know Mads Mikkelsen from. Oh yeah, I do know of that movie. I haven't seen it. Yeah, Casino Royale. He's in a lot of a lot of movies. Mads Mikkelsen, but he plays a a middle aged teacher who's kind of lost his verve, lost his will to to um, to teach, and him and his his fellow teachers decide to take up this Danish philosopher's ideas to to try and be semi-drunk all the time. And it's kind of, it's, it has, it's a very um, in, interesting movie. It has kind of some tragic components, but it's, it's in many ways about kind of middle age, but I think anyone who's kind of reached a, a stuck point in their life, right? And kind of trying to find, lost the spirit, right? Lost, lost the spirit and trying to reclaim that kind of will to live that, that vivacity. So I think it's a, it's a wonderful movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sure that, um, a lot of people are getting to that point younger and younger nowadays. So I am pretty Mm. sure a lot of people might, um, it might speak to them. Uh, what about your favorite podcast or podcast you might be checking out right now? Um, I'm kind of, I'm, I, I, I'm kind of insular in in terms of, I, I like to listen to a lot of therapy, podcasts. Uh, and there's one, uh, in the U S called therapists, therapist uncensored. And I think for, for your listeners, I don't, I don't have a connection with them, uh, personally. Uh, but I, I, I've learned a lot. They do a lot on, uh, neuroscience and attachment theory. So if, if I think it's, I've learned a lot listening to them, uh, about, about attachment history, I'm going to, you know, that'll come up today. And uh, it has a lot, a lot of implications for relationships. So I, I quite like that. Mm-hmm. What about a famous role model in your life? A famous role model. Um, yeah, I, you know what? I'm going to say uh, off the top of my head, uh, you know, kind of a therapist uh, who, whose book my laptop is resting on, which is Irvin Yalom who's one of the founders of existentialist uh, psychotherapy. I don't know him personally, but one of his um, kind of innovations was about being real with your clients and sort of dropping the kind of clinical mask. And, um, you know, he talks a lot about that, being real, being honest, being authentic. And I think that that's easier said than done. I think it, it's a real art. And I think it's something you earn as a therapist over many years of practice. But I think it's, I think it's a very compelling notion. Uh, I think, I think it's, and I think it's one of the unique things about psychotherapy as, a, as opposed to the other kind of clinical pursuits is mm-hmm. we have that opportunity too. It, it can be therapeutically useful. I think it probably could be another medicine uh, my sister's a, a a doctor and a physician, and and uh, we talk about that often. But it's not as, uh, I guess, available to to right. certain medical professionals. But I think when when used appropriately, appropriately as a psychotherapist, it can be very very uh, powerful. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and what is the last course that you have completed? Um, I think I, I think in, uh, I, I've done some online courses. I think in the pandemic, uh, I did. Uh, your listeners probably know Esther Perel. She's a she's a Belgian 
psychotherapist and very famous relationship and sex therapist. And she had a a couples trans, transformative couples online seminar, and I took I took that uh, approach and continue continue to learn from her. I think she has has very um, good insights, particularly into I think sexuality and um, the the kinds of pressures on the modern day relationship that are unique in in history. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, well, that's kind of uh, the end of our segment um, where we get to know you. Now we might move on uh, to the meat of the episode where we talk about relationship anxiety, dealing with relationship anxiety, dealing with people who are having anxiety themselves. Um, I guess to start off very broadly, what is a relationship? How would you describe a relationship? Yes, and I, I took some notes here because I think it's I think a relationship is tricky. Uh, but so I'm going to put my I'm going to put define what maybe an ideal or an, what we aspire to in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I would say three components. I would say I would put values, uh, support, and individuality. And what I mean by by values is that I think a relationship is a, a willful union of people. Who, who share or are committed in some part to, to similar values, right? So this could right. be uh, kind of principles of, you know, how to live, right? Do, I, do we, do we want to have an adventurous life? Do we want to make a lot of money? Do we want to raise children? So, you know, do we have the same ethics? I think that's a, an important part. Um, the second part is support, and that's, that's the attachment piece that – you know, you share a you share an emotional commitment to each other for being being there for each other when 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 the other needs you, right? There's a you know when I reach out, my partner is there. I think that that's a, a second component, and then the third is a, a commitment to honoring, fostering, and supporting the individuality in your partner. I think that's a really important part. Is that your relationship is not just about the two of you it's it's really three relationships it's it's your your individual relationship to yourselves and then your relationship to each other and that i think especially if we're dealing with long-term monogamy uh is crucial for kind of giving oxygen to the relationship yeah for sure for sure um and I guess in your opinion, does, and you, and you touched on this a little bit when you were talking about, you know, the courses with Esther Perel and modern relationships, but does a relationship, you know, especially romantic relationships, does it look the same as it does maybe a few decades ago? Um, yeah, I think, I think that's something Esther Perel argues. And, and I think I'm, I'm trying to think if it's, you know what? What's changed in the last few decades? I think, in general, we put a tremendous amount of uh, pressure on relationships and our partners to fulfill multiple functions, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's, there, you know, our, we're, we're financially uh, interdependent, so we have to be kind of financial partners and best friends and mm-hmm. kind of sexual partners and uh, also kind of parental figures sometimes and co-parents and uh, what is it, you know, fitness mates. Uh, So there's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure to to assume many different roles. And I think that that's where we get into a lot of trouble um, as uh, in relationship, because it's hard to be 
that many people, or it's hard to, to assume all those roles. So I think that that's something, I mean, I think that that was maybe, um, I, I, I'm stereotyping a bit, but I think maybe in more kind of traditional marriages, right. They would be, there would be expectation that you, you do one or two of those, right. But certainly not the best friend, right. The soulmate I think is relatively new in modern relationships. Right, 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 for sure. Um, I guess, how then would you define uh, relationship anxiety? You know, there's all these issues, I guess, that people have around relationships now, so. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot of, yeah, I mean, there's there's, there's so many different ways we could go with that, and I think, you know, we're kind of, I don't know if we're in an age of anxiety, I mean, certainly... There's a lot to be anxious about, so I think we're we're in a general climate of anxiety. Yeah. So how does it play out in relationships? I think there's you know two ways we could go. One I think is um, what we might call I don't know neediness or or vulnerability or a sense that the second the the bit I mentioned about support, the basically the 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 trust that this person will be there. And it's funny, I was just talking to some clients this week about, you know, being on Tinder and dating and and how anxious that experience is because, uh, you know, as they were saying, you know, there's an expectation that they're going to be dating many people. And there's this kind of this buffet approach of, you know, I, I, you know I'm going to get different different aspects from different people, but often there we don't think about there, there's a tremendous amount of vulnerability in doing that because you leave yourself open to um, kind of attachment wounds. But I think that, that that basic, that's the fundamental one is that the anxiousness that do they love me enough? Will they be there? Will they leave me? Um, am I enough? Am I enough for them? Um, you know, th- those are, I think are the big ones. Then there's another one that I think is subtle, um, which is a kind of a, 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 a verse of it, which is a kind of anxiety of, of being taken for granted or of the or of mm. kind of stasis in a relationship that there's yeah. things have gotten too familiar, too sibling like. Um, there's no, you know, anxiety about the lack of spark, anxiety about the lack. And this, this comes into sex therapy a lot, right? That there's a couple, they really get along, they love each other, they're best friends, but they're too, it's too comfortable. It's too, uh, familial. And that breeds anxiety too, of a different sort, not about them being there for each other, but that they're missing that romantic piece, right? So there's an anxiousness that we're not having, you know, an explosive, you know, Hollywood sex life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and do you feel like maybe people could have them at the same time or, or is it kind of, does it alternate between the two? Because they feel like opposites. Which, which those two types of anxiety? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think again, and it comes down to the, the, the pressures placed on a relationship too, right? That, that, that it's not just, say, we're not just kind of co-parents or, find, you know, we're, we're making a home together and, you know, that we also have to be, have, have a constant renewed love affair. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, and, and if, if the, so, so there's an expectation that if we're not having that love affair, even if we get along, 
that that's going to erode and that this will lead to um, the anxiety that, you know, I'm not enough or, Mm. you know, she's not enough for me, uh, you know, et cetera. So I think, I think they do intertwine. uh, And that's, you know, kind of what we tease out in therapy is all the different uh, nuances of those anxieties. Right, right. Yeah. And I guess I'm, you know, seems like an obvious question, but how does this actually affect relationships? Uh, yeah, no, um, I think in many ways, so I'll, I'll give you two examples. Uh, one, so that the anxiety about security or trust, like, are they there for me? Am I enough? Um, you know, will, will they be there for me next year? Um, I think that plays out in, again, what we could call maybe kind of neediness or, or repetitive, you know, sort of asks, right? It could just be, you know, need for validation, right? Um, you know, at night before going to bed, you know, uh, you know, do you, do you still love me? Do you still, and, and, and this can be very, very tricky because um, a, a bit of that is, you know, kind of expected, but too much of that can feel, you know, the other, you know, can, can be, feel like pestering, right. And feel, um, feel like, um, again, that you don't have trust in the relationship and can, and can activate somewhat the other partner's distrust. So I think that's one way, a more nefarious way I think is in controlling behaviors. So often, sometimes, and I've seen this, again, you don't tend to see, well, you do actually in therapy sometimes, but um, someone who's anxious about the relationship and maybe about their partner's partner's fidelity, Mm -hmm. right, might become controlling in certain ways, right, about, you know, where they're going out to controlling, you know, suspicious or about who, you know, even friend groups about going out to bars without them. Um, and might have, you know, and, and that might not be a spoken anxiety of, you know, I'm worried that you're going to run away on me. But I think, I think that it manifests that way as, as mm. kind of controlling, as maybe, you know, checking your phone, as limiting contact with, with parents and, 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 and all of that, because there's a, a kind of a jealousy there. So I think that's another, uh, you know, much more problematic and, and kind of can, can, order into abusive behavior that results from anxiety. Yeah, I've definitely heard of people kind of um, taking, you know, asking for the password to their partner's phones, for example, so that they can read through who they've been messaging um, or even just monitoring their social media activity. And I feel like in some places it feels very normalized, uh, or at least the way I've seen it discussed online, it feels very normalized. Like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just worried about my partner or whatever, but feels a bit um, dark-sided to me. Yeah, so you're hearing a lot of that about people just kind of in a regular relationship uh, and, and kind of nothing's happened, but they're asking for passwords and they're asking mm-hmm. for search histories or things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Have you kind and of come across true. that before? Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. I've 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 dealt with a number a number of couples who've had come to me after an affair, and one of the the rules I think you know dealing with an affair dysregulates your nervous system, right? So the person who's the the victim of the affair, we we want to work in the first part of therapy to regulate them and to kind of it's a really 
disorienting experience. And so I might say, you know, and in the digital age, right, there's all these threats, right? There's all these potential threats, especially if it was an online affair, you know, I, there's an encouragement, I think, by many therapists to say, you know, show show them your phone, show them your emails, like right, let's right. be let's be open about this, and it's a gesture. I think that's different than um, in a in in a, a different context where someone wants you, you know, to kind of uh, to, wants to surveil you a bit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no and the suspicion isn't warranted. I mean, this gets really tricky to to iron out, right? Where there's a, a, a suspicion or a paranoia uh, that can turn, you know, which I think is rooted in anxiety. Uh, that's different. But I think in an affair, I think it's after their affair and if it's been kind of disclosed and, and everything's on the table, then I think just for as a gesture of good faith, um, often that kind of, you know, digital disclosure, digital kind of showing you all my my skeletons in my digital closet is not a right. it's not a bad idea. Right. But I right. think, you know, we, we need to look on a case by case basis. But it's interesting for me to hear I I, off, I I would I don't think I've seen many clients who come in without that context who would who would disclose that a lot because maybe they right. feel uh, maybe 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 they would recognize that as controlling right maybe yeah get, I don't know yeah 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 for sure um, is there I guess a positive aspect to anxiety in relationships and within your relationship? Is there any, are there any benefits it could bring? Cause it doesn't sound like it right now. Uh, yeah, it's funny. And there, there's some books on this. Uh, I'm trying to think of, I, I, I think there was a recent book on the benefits of anxiety. I think anxiety, th- there are benefits. I, I do, I do th- there, you know, Kierkegaard, the philosopher talked about, you know, he said, we need to learn how to be anxious in the right way. Uh, and that anxiety can keep us on the edge of edge of life, right? And kind of moving forward. Whereas depression um, tends to do the opposite, right? Depression, it's hard to find. I mean, there can be benefits of depression. We could talk about that too. But but anxiety, I think it it it's it's forward looking. It can be it can be it can express concern. It can express interest, right? It can, exp- mm-hmm. you know, so I think even someone who's controlling and is very, and is very anxious, uh, there's a wound there and there's a concern and there's, there's a, I think even if it's convoluted, there's a need or a want to, 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 to connect. Right. So I think if we, if we look at that, um, that, that for me, that's not a wholly negative uh, thing. I don't know if that's, you know, helps to helps to color anxiety, but I think, um, yeah, does that, I mean, does that, does that change the, <laughs> I guess in uh, a way, I guess it's like anxiety shows you care, but you just can't let it kind of get out of control. If that, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Or to put it another way, some, you know, I think if, you know, and some therapists will say, we need a little bit of tension in a relationship. We need a little bit of anxiety, right? We need to know that this isn't, um, we don't just coast off into the sunset with our relationship. But we kind of, you know, we, we get married, we say our vows, you know, and we, and we kind of let it 
you know, put it on the shelf. Mm -hmm. There needs to be a little bit of anxiety, existential anxiety built into a relationship because it's not final, right? It is conditional. This is, this is one of the things I'm kind of learning and, and coming to believe myself that love isn't unconditional and it shouldn't be right. Love has very specific conditions. And if those conditions aren't met, um, you should be anxious, right? If, if, um, if someone's not meeting them or so, so at that level, you know, anxiety can be a, um, can spur on kind of the will to change or to make better, right. And to not stay still. Right. And I think life is dynamic. Relationships are dynamic. They go through many phases and we need anxiety a little bit. We need a little bit of anxiety in order to propel us forward. Right. I think, right. I, think I think Esther Perel talks about, you know, if if you're lucky in your life, maybe it's her, um, you'll have three meaningful relationships, hopefully with the same person. Right, right. So, so if we're talking about long-term monogamy, it's really, really hard to sustain that without a little bit of friction, reinvention, um, challenge, and, and anxiety is often the motor that makes it run. Right. So that's, yeah. a, good, that's a good spin on anxiety there. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure a lot of people listening might uh, feel a little better about that. Um, what are kind of the... Is it possible to kind of get rid of this anxiety completely? And you answered that a little bit. Um, in your earlier answers, but is it possible to at least get to a point where the person who is suffering from that anxiety or the couple who's suffering from anxiety can feel secure to a certain extent? I, I think so. Yes. I mean, I think, I think, you know, many couples therapists talk about, you know, the aim is secure attachment, right? We want to, we want to build, that sense of security, maybe not a hundred percent, right? But but if if you have ten percent, we definitely want to in, increase that. Okay. Um, so yes, and I think often with someone who's very very anxious, what we want to do is translate that anxiety um, from an anxiety about their partner, right? That you know they're not there for me, they don't like me, into into I language, into a, a dialogue with with themselves, right? So in, in a right. couple session, if I have someone who's really, really anxious about their partner, I will turn to them. I, I will ask them not to talk to their partner. And I'll say, what's that, what's that like for you? What kind of, uh, you know, what, what's, what's that experience like for you? When did you, when did you experience that before? Right. What do you need to feel secure? Right. Not, not what do you need from your partner, but in life or in general or in this moment, what, what would make you feel less anxious? And I think that that, that is really important um, to, to help kind of, uh, I guess, detach the enmeshment with your partner sometimes and to be able right. to, to yeah. see that I can regulate myself a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of research now on interregulation or co-regulation, so how you can help your partner regulate and that's important too, but I, I think that you know, translating it, getting it away from you know, my partner's making me anxious, my partner's not loving me enough, my partner, you know, could leave me at any moment. To you know, this is this is how I experience my anxiety. This is 
you know, this, this is how I felt it before to translate it into their own individual experience. And I think, I think, you know, that's the aim, right? I, I certainly think, and to be comfortable, to be, you know, if we want to talk really big picture, to be okay with worst case scenarios too. Right. Yeah. You know, to be okay that even if they leave me, which if we, if we get really morbid about it, you will at some point, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. We need to be, we need to be aware from it. death or, or whatever. It's not, it's not a, you know, an endless, you know, vampiric love story. It's, it, yeah. it does have an end. Um, so we need to kind of reconcile ourselves to that as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a very advanced level of reckoning, but I think that that's, that's part of, part of this too, be, being able to, um, self-soothe and to be able to 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 manage or or to kind of internalize some of the some of the regulation or security we get from our partner to be able to develop that in ourselves right Mm -hmm. so if our if our partner you know validates us and does a lot of things you know that we might expect in a maternal relationship that we can develop that in ourselves and that we can learn how to take care. You know, we talk about self-care all the time, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so it's a little bit of that. So I, I certainly, I certainly see it. I'm where I work with a lot of clients who, you know, have learned to, to, to internalize that anxiety, to, to bring it home to themselves and to, and to find ways to soothe themselves uh, in ways that before it was only their their partner, right? Yeah, they can yeah, validate sure. themselves. They can. I think that's really important. And then you can save the fun stuff and the kind of you know deep conversations and mini golf for for your partner, right? They don't they right. don't have to do yeah. all that kind of validating work. Yeah, for sure. Mini golf. I do like that term. Um, <laughs> so I guess what I guess one of the main questions I have now is. Do you feel relationship anxiety is experienced by one person or is it usually just experienced by both people in different ways? Uh, do you mean that there's more, you know, is it, is it, does it yeah, usually. Is it usually manifest in the couple as a whole or is it usually just one person who's dealing with it a little bit worse? Yeah, I, it's, it's an interesting question. I mean, one thing I will say is if we use, uh, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with it, attachment uh, theory, but it's very, very often, and I don't, I don't know all why this happens, but someone who is what we call anxiously attached, right, or pre- preoccupied attachment, where they they don't trust, right, that that they don't trust that you'll be there for them, and this probably comes from, you know, a history of this in their attachment systems with with family. They, they will often find themselves partnered with someone who is more what we call uh, maybe avoidantly attached. So someone who's more what we call auto-regulating, right? So that they, they withdraw when uh, the anxious person pursues, right? So I come to you and I say, why don't you love me? You know, you're not showing me enough affection. And the other person might experience that as uncomfortable, you know, uncomfortable and tend to withdraw into themselves, you know, go take a walk, drive in their truck, go to their, I've heard that, you know, retreat to their man cave or whatever. And often it, often it plays out gender wise too. I've seen, 
Um, but, but they often will find themselves with someone who maybe has anxiety in different ways, but it gets expressed differently. So certainly I think, you know, couples would describe it as say, this person is more anxious, right? They are more anxious. I am less anxious. So I, I think, I think, yes, they, they often that it's like a yin and yang, right? That, that kind of tends to, to, and, and the funny thing is, is that person's withdrawal, right? If you're, if you're partnered with someone who is more, you know, zipped up, kind of closed off, mm-hmm. uh, self-regulating, that can be v- even more anxiety producing to someone who is anxiously attached because your silence or your stoicism will appear to them as, you know, you're stonewalling them, you're, you're disappearing, you're retreating, and it will make yeah. them more, you know, I'm, you know, knocking, knocking on the door, trying to kind of mm-hmm. uh, let me in. So I think, I, you know, I don't think that's true of all cases, but I think that in general, we, we see this kind of complementarity where there's one person who's mm-hmm. more, more preoccupied and one person who gets kind of uh, withdrawn from, from, you know, and kind of turned off and by that uh, anxiety. Yeah. Right, right, for sure. So how can um, we, if, if we're in a relationship, how can we know if we're in a relationship with someone who is experiencing relationship anxiety? Mm-hmm. Okay, so how do, like you're saying, if you, how do I know if my partner is anxious? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, well, I think the first the first thing might be in those kind of the need for validation, right? The kind of the need for, um, I guess, if you've established yourself, it's tough if you're dating, right? And maybe you don't have uh, a, a title. I don't know what, you know, I always ask clients, I'm like, how do you, call, what do you call yourselves, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's really important. Um, but if you if you consider yourself partnered, if you consider yourself monogamous, and then of course there's polyamorous, which is, which has a whole different set of, uh, complexities. But if you're monogamous and you call yourself, you know, exclusive, um, so you've got a base, right? You've named it, you've named that you're kind of exclusive, you're monogamous, you're moving forward together. So if you have that as a base and, uh, you still feel like your partner has a lot of need for validation, a lot of, a lot of, um, uh, a, a lot of questions about your investment in the relationship, a lot of questions of, of, you know, kind of uncertainty, insecurity. I think this can, mani- I'm trying to think of other ways this can, can manifest, but I think that kind of, yeah, that restlessness is, is, is a, is a first sign. And then I think conversely, like I said before, the, the controlling aspect, right? The, you know, the, you know, feeling, feeling like you want to limit your partner. Um, And this, you know, I think this can express it, you know, think of careers right now, you know, you know, pursuing a career, it it can manifest in whole, whole lot of different ways, like trying to restrict someone's career ambitions, or, I mean, in really, really retrograde experiences too, like, you know, wanting, wanting your partner to have a lot of kids and stay at home. And, uh, you know, I think, I think that that's not an uncommon, um, sort of desire for, for people, I think, you know, have, have a stay at home mom, for instance. 
um, that that desire from the other partner can could be a form of anxiety, right? To 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 tie them to the home, right? Yeah. To tie them to your genetics. So this is again, I don't think this is true of all cases, but it 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 could be, right? It could it could be. You know, I think there's many different ways, especially in people who, you know, and I'm thinking of 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 men, males, and you know, in general, tend to be less, uh, you know, emotionally open about things like that. Anxiety can be, is very vulnerable, right? Yeah. So it, it may come out in other ways in more um, kind of maladaptive and controlling behavioral ways. So mm-hmm. that's something I, I think if you, and, and the surveillance that you mentioned, right? The kind of, I think that's that's a, you know, not necessarily a red alert, but certainly a flag of anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, why are you going online? You know, you mentioned pornography. I think a lot of partners are threatened by or uncomfortable or curious about, say, one partner's excessive porn usage, right? And I think that those things need to be talked about. But that could be um, another another source of potential relational anxiety. Yeah, for sure. So what, I guess, like, going back to um, the validation, the seeking of the validation, what kind of questions um, would the partner perhaps be asking if that's what they were looking for? The anxious partner? Mm-hmm. What kind of questions they would be asking yeah. for to, to be validated? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think, I'm trying to think of, some specific questions. I think, you know, can be simple as, I mean, I'm trying to think of examples I've had in clients. Some, some can be in terms of jealousy, right? Uh, can be, you know, why are you spending so much time with that person? Or do you think she's pretty or he's attractive? Um, I think it can be, can take, take that form. I think it also can take more direct questionings of, you know, do you still find me attractive? Do you find, you know, do you, do you, um, do you love me? Will you, will you love me? Right. I don't, I, I, you know, why do you go spend time in the basement by yourself? Um, do you not like talking to me? Um, why don't you listen to me? Right. Mm. Um, I mean, that's a big, a big thing I hear is, is, uh, a lack of recognition, right. When, when someone isn't, heard there's a lot of people there's an epidemic of people who live together and don't feel heard seen or recognized by each other and i think that 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 lack of recognition can manifest in a lot lot of anxiety right can can feel like you're um living with a ghost right that you're kind of or or you're the ghost you're kind of invisible yeah. Um, I'll, I'll give you another example, too, around kind of sex and sexuality is I see this a lot with men, ang- ang- relationship anxiety around sex. Mm-hmm. So there's many couples who come in and they say, you know, the issue is he wants sex. You know, if we're talking about heterosexual couple. The man wants more sex. I, I don't like you know, I, I don't have as high a sex at it, or I don't have enough sex with him to be satisfied. 
And I think there's a simplistic reading of that as, you know, kind of what one, one is more biologically uh, kind of prone to arousal or, or different, different modes, or one is just kind of more physically, you know, like that, that there's, you know, Esther Perel would talk about, you know, the need for seduction and the need for, you know, not just infantile kind of sexual dynamics. But I think what I've seen, and I think that this is kind of bears out in a lot of the research is that men often funnel a lot of emotional needs into sex. So sex fills in for a lot of, uh, a lot of different kinds of forms of validation, right? So if we talked about validation and as a core around anxiety, I think that for many men that is, and and again, I'd use the word existentially important that they feel seen, recognized, validated, you know, uh, through sex, right? And that's that's hu- hugely uh, important. I think I think I you know I see this all the time where that sense of self and that sense of trust in the relationship withers away really quickly when they're not having sex, and then it kind of fills up again. Mm-hmm. So that's another place. And so that that you asked where anxiety, you know, what can be a sign? Sometimes sexual irritation or frustration can be a sign of anxiety, right? It, right. It's, it's maybe communicated as, you know, I'm sexually frustrated, but if you dig underneath, sometimes there can be a real core um, emotional uh, anxiety that's, mm-hmm. that's under that, mm-hmm. right? And it's more than just kind of a physical release. It's about, you know, feeling totally connected and, and, and a lack of emotional valid, you know, emotional connection with my partner. Right. Right. Yeah. So often people can, it's, it's almost like they're misconstruing, I guess, the reasons that they might feel frustrated. Is that what you would say or? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think a lot of, you know, again, if we're talking about anxiety, uh, yeah, it can take many forms. Is that, is it, you know, if I think if I get your question right, that, yeah. that, um, it can look like it, it can, it can look, look like something else. And we can kind of say, treat the anger or the frustration when really there's an anxi- anxiousness under, um, um, you know, underneath. I think that's true. I mean, they often talk about anger being, a secondary emotion, right? That anger is, is protective. It's not really the primary emotion there. So if we have, you know, an anger comes up a lot in these things of, you know, anger over why are you online or why are you on, you know, spending all this time on Reddit or whatever on all these boards. Mm -hmm. Um, But the, but the primary emotion underneath is an anxiety or is a feeling of hurt or, you know, primal jealousy or something like that. So is that, is that what you kind of. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Um, So I guess, you know, within a monogamous relationship, you've got one person who is experiencing anxiety. How does it affect the other person in that relationship? Yeah. um, I think. So if you, I mean, it depends, I guess, on the, on the level of anxiety, 
Um, and, you know, again, we're, we're making generalizations here a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of what I see. I think, again, I think that that can be, um, it, it can, it can feel, I mean, people can feel very fatigued by it, right. Can feel, you know, I guess it's like, you know, I'm thinking like a child who, who, who wants, you know, kind of constant validation and we, and we give that and, and I guess it can, it can make you feel like uh, in the worst cases that you're not heard or listened to, right? Because I think what happens is often people will say, I love you, or, you, you know, you mean a lot to me, or I'm here for the long haul. And I think if, if you've got an anxious person and they, you know, you have a heart to heart and you hear that, and then two days later you say, you know, I don't, you know, do you still love me? I think some, sometimes that partner can feel like my words were a little bit cheap, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, were, you know, they can feel like, were you actually listening, mm-hmm. you know, when, when I, or, um, or do you, do you believe me, right? Do you, do you not take me for my word, right? So I think that that's one potential challenge, right? And that can lead to frustration um, from the other partner to say, you know, look, I, I have reassured you. And, and I'm thinking of a, a good case scenario where the person is really, you know, there isn't there isn't a warranted anxiety, right? So I think there are cases where there's warranted anxiety, right? Someone is drifting. But I'm thinking of a case where, you know, they want to be there, but but the other person doesn't trust them. It can it can be fatiguing and it can and it can make you feel um, again like the person is maybe kind of caught in their own loop and unable to really connect with you. And I think that that sometimes is the case, right? That they're, you know, we get, we get sort of siloed in our own anxious loops. That's actually one of the arguments about like, you know, trigger being triggered, right? Is that we're, we're not actually triggered by what's in front of us. It's kind of bringing up something from the past and experience from the past Um, and so we're, it's real suffering, but it's suffering that's kind of caught in glass. It's kind of, you know, it's a past, you know, and I think that that happens with, with these dynamics, right? With someone who's really, really anxious and kind of putting a lot of pressure on the other partner. Mm -hmm. They're kind of, see, it can, it seemed like they're, they're stuck in their own time loop, right? Yeah. And that's where we would, as a therapist, the, the job that's really important is to kind of explore the history and to say, where have you felt like this before? Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's not, this isn't the first time you felt anxious. Right. And we want to, again, separate it from the, the individual in front of us and kind of look at the history and say like, Oh, okay. You know, did you, you know, you tried to get mom's attention a lot as a kid and Oh, she, you know, she wasn't there. She wasn't busy. Okay. So you felt this Mm -hmm. before and, and we want to, expand it and get it out, you know, out of the, the kind of immediacy. Mm, yeah, for sure. And I, I feel like when you're on the receiving end of that, it can kind of cause its own set of problems too, like its own set of anxieties. If, if you feel like you're not being listened to. Yeah, 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 no, it, it can. Um, yeah, you can feel you can, you can feel your own lack of validation, right? Because mm-hmm. you feel you know, that, that your partner isn't present. They're kind of just 
spinning out in their own anxiety or their own neuroses and can't, you know, can't, you know, in some ways it's like having, you know, we, in, in, in relationship therapy, we sometimes talk about thirds, right? About like in-laws or an affair or something that threatens the, the, the monad, you know, the duality of the relationship and an anxiety and neuroses can be a third, right? It can be like, there's a third. I mean, I like this in some of these shows, they talk about like the depression elephant or like they personalize, they give a character to, to the symptom. Right. And I think in this case, it's like the, you know, the, the, the anxiety is a third party in the relationship. And, um, you know, sometimes I think for the receipt, the receiver of that anxiety can feel like you're spending all this time indulging, uh, you know, and giving oxygen to your anxiety and you're not being present for me. And I think it's the same if you think of, you know, when, when we talk about addictions, right? That's how they talk about, you know, someone is a, you know, drug or alcohol user, right? They, they speak of it in the same way as that you're married to the bottle, not me. Mm. And, you know, and if we think of, you know, alcohol and drugs as ways of self, self-medicating or, or, or working out a kind of anxiety or depression, it's similar, right? But, but rather than it being sort of, uh, sort of expressed via, you know, drinking, it's expressed via a sort of repetitive rumination on trust or something like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, I mean, it's obvious, like when you put it that way, that there's like a third in the relationship, Mm -hmm. um, uh, especially stuff like anxiety and depression manifesting as like a third person. I feel like that definitely puts things into perspective. Yeah, it's it's a tough one, right? And and you know, it's a tough thing to navigate too because you know you want to be empathetic as a partner, right? Um, but you know, the, the these are where you have to be very uh, very careful and and methodical in in this kind of treatment because it's you know we don't want to just invalidate the kind of core root of the anxiety. But we also have to we have to also acknowledge that it does have impacts. So sometimes alcoholics will talk about it as a disease, or, or you know, I work with um, self-described sex addicts, and they they talk about it as this autonomous force that they can't control. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's there's different literature on the on the matter, but but the result of that can be very negative on the partner to say like, you know, if you say I have an anxiety disorder, I can't control that this is who I am. Um, if that is really the case, then I think the part, your other, your partner has some, some difficult choices because it, it, you know, then, then it's like, okay, well, if you're not, if there isn't movement, if there isn't something, if it, there isn't commitment to working on this, then um, we are going to be in, stuck in this kind of, unwanted, uh, you know, trinity. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, What is your advice to um, someone who is in a relationship with someone suffering from anxiety or relationship anxiety specifically? If someone is, um, they're they're with someone who has a, a, a high amount of anxiety? Yeah. Um, you know, the first the first thing would be to, I think, you know, I mean, this is maybe obvious that to, to go see a, a therapist if, if, if they have it, right? Um, yeah. And 
if if it's really really strong anxiety uh, to to see an individual therapist to to work to kind of develop some strategies, right? Because there are a whole you know anxiety is you know anxiety depression are the bread and butter of psychotherapy, right? So there's there's a whole host of you know, CBT, DBT, all kinds of approaches to anxiety. So that's the good news, right? Is that there's, you know, and you, you mentioned mindfulness uh, or we were talking about mindfulness before, right? There's, there's a whole host of strategies that you can get online and meditations and, and things like that. It doesn't resolve, you know, everything entirely, but there are a lot of, of, of self initiating practices that you can do to quell your anxiety, Right. Or at least to kind of take the temperature down a little bit, some reality testing, some, you know, you can go, uh, I, I send a lot of clients to, you know, dialectical behavioral coping thoughts. Right. right. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and I've, I've done that in relationships that says like, you know, my partner, you know, you can kind of just turn to your mantra, right? Like my partner has expressed that they will be with me. There's no, there's no need to doubt them, right? I, ha- I don't have a- evidence that they've betrayed my trust. And even if they do leave me, I'll be okay kind of thing, right? So those, those would be things, very easy kind of dime store strategies that you could, you know, pick up, pick up some of those things. I guess, the, I guess the tricky thing, what I'll say is why, why this is maybe easier said than done, is that sometimes we don't have... Uh, self-awareness, uh, like uh, people with anxiety, often it will be projected to their partner or to others, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you are the one making me anxious by doing such and such. Mm-hmm. So that, that is trickier um, to, to disentangle. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, you know, but that that's again where a therapist might say, you know, our for, our for, uh, part of our work together is to, you know, separate your anxiety from your partner a little bit and say, mm-hmm. you know, talk about other places where you might be anxious and develop self-soothing techniques on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's just a little caveat that it's it's sometimes difficult when when you don't see your anxiety as your own, if that makes mm-hmm. sense, right? Where yeah, you that see, makes sense. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of people see that, right, that the anxiety or, you know, that that you're making me feel insecure by your actions. Yeah. Right. And that might be true. Right. There might be, you know, it might be true 20 percent or 30 percent or 50 percent. You know, they might be doing kind of, uh, you know, anxiety, you know, they might be going out for a coffee with their ex, right? That That's something that could be legitimately, I think I had a, a blog post about that, right? Texting your ex, right? Like that's, that, that is not neurotic or pathological. That, that's genuinely uh, anxiety inducing, but it, you know, there's part, but, but there's also a part that you play as well, right? There's a, there, there's uh there's, there's your own anxiety in, in that and there's own kind of exaggerations or amplifications of that. So it's sorting those out and, and sorting out, you know, what is kind of what we might call natural or situational anxiety that's, you know, normal. And then what might be a little bit, you know, someone going out 
for instance, with a, with a friend to, to have, you know, have a drink, um, you know, and, and, and the other person is very anxious that they're not at home with them. That might be considered, we might, we might put that out of the realm of natural, right? That it's okay. This is part of your relationship. You know, we go out, we have a bit of a separate life, but, um, yeah. So it's sorting, sorting those out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, we might move on in that case, uh, to our practice slash experiment debrief, um, in which I, I ask you um, about, I guess, the ways that our listeners and viewers can practically apply your advice. So what is a practice that you use or employ um, to help people deal with relationship anxiety? Um, well, I like, I like doing, especially with couples, exercises that uh, involve the couple in a dialogue of some kind in a way that is de-escalated, right? Sort of like a questionnaire. You'll find this in a lot of couples' books that you'll have, you know, I mean, Esther Perel has a sexuality questionnaire, right? Where you sit right. down and you kind of ask about the history, you know, what was, what was a meaningful sexual experience for you? And I think that this is nice because sometimes often these things come up, but they come up in escalated, triggered, emotionally intense situations. And it's hard to uh, have a good conversation in in that way or late at night. Right. (laughs) I would say don't don't have those conversations late, late at night before your bed, uh, after after you've been drinking or something like that. That's a recipe for, uh, you know, for further escalation. But if you if you're intentional and you kind of say, let's wake up on Saturday, we're going to go to the park, we're going to get a tea or a coffee and we're going to sit down and and and, you know, go through some of these questions to get to know each other a little better. So I would recommend something like, uh, you know, an anxiety history questionnaire. Right. So it could be it could be something like you know, when do you feel anxious, right? Tell me about, tell me about your, you know, I, I notice you get, you know, and you can make it a theme about anxiety if you want, about kind of relational anxiety. When do you feel anxious? How, you know, how intense is it? How often? What makes it better, right? What makes it worse? Um, when did you feel anxious in your childhood, right? When, what situations made you anxious, right? Were you anxious at school? Were you anxious around your parents, what made it better, right? What did you do? Did you kind of go off to your room and cry? Did you go to a parent? Um, and then, and then you can bring that history into the present and say, you know, what, what do I do to make you anxious? What do I do to make you feel soothed and secure? Mm-hmm. Right. So we can, we can ask a lot of these questions, um, that come out, maybe indirectly or unconsciously in a, in a, in a kind of escalated fight, but we, we can do it in a de-escalated way in the spirit, you know, couples therapists love to talk about curiosity, being curious about yourself, being curious about your partner. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we all love to talk about ourselves, right? Um, hopefully. I mean, I, th- I think, you know, so, so, I mean, even, you know, you could just sit with yourself and say, when am I anxious? What are the situations that make me most anxious? When am I anxious in my relationship? Oh, that's, that's interesting. And to hone a self-curiosity and a curiosity for, uh, for a partner, 
Um, and that will also, you know, this does double duty of, of building intimacy, right. Of building, um, building, building in mystery, right. Um, this, yeah. this is often, we need to, once we know our partner, this, I get a lot of couples who say this, like, I know everything there is to know about my partner. Right. Right. And, and this is very dangerous, right? Because you, you know, you know, when you know them or you think you know them, that's, you know, what's to explore, what's to, to move forward. And I think that there's always mystery. I think we're always mysteries to ourselves and, and to cultivate that spirit of curiosity. Um, so I think you could do it. You could create your own questionnaire. I'm sure you could, you could pick up some of these questions here, but, but just ones that kind of ask maybe even seemingly simplistic questions, but you know, things that you think you know the answer to. Um, but if you kind of answer it honestly, I, th- I think you can have a, a good conversation. And, and um, I think, again, if it's de-escalated, you can, you can come up with your own um, awareness because that's what we want. We want to be able to understand our partner's anxiety or, or understand our partner's neurotic behaviors because that invites them into the process, right? So that gets back to this concept of interregulation or co-regulation, which I think is a very sophisticated notion that, you know, I think in an advanced level couple, we don't want to just have to self-regulate ourselves. We want, we want to elicit their help, but, but we need to do that in a, you know, a generous context where they, where they want to help. Yeah, for sure. Um, what are kind of the challenges um, with taking on a questionnaire like this? Uh, I think the challenges are opening things up, right? Of, of you know, scratching, scratching beneath the surface and, and uh, you know, getting, getting to some, you know, some tricky, tricky feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even that, that question of like, did you feel anxious as a child? Uh, you know, when was a moment you felt anxious as a child, right? Um, you know, for some people that might be easier to go to. Other people, you know, it, it could be the first time you're thinking about that in a while, right? So I think that that's a challenge is, is to know that, you know, this stuff can go deep pretty, pretty fast. I, I'm always amazed in therapy, you know, these, you know, open-ended questions we can ask like that, like, you know, oh, you're coming in with anxiety, you know, what, did you always feel this, did you feel this way, you know, as a kid or something? And people can start crying right away because they've never made that connection or, or um, they're saying it out loud. And, and I think that that's, it's, it's a challenge, but it's, it's an important challenge, right? I think that that's, that's where the, the gold is. So, um, yeah, that way I would say that's, that's the risk of, of, of opening up something vulnerable. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you find, is, is this the kind of questionnaire that you should do with your partner once, or is it like a regular check-in kind of thing? How often should you do it? Um, yeah, I think, I think, I think doing, you know, some people have like standing dates, right? Uh, which I think is a nice idea to kind of, you know, every Friday or Saturday morning we do, we do an activity together and, 
Um, you know, maybe, you know, there's, there's a, a John Gottman book and, you know, he's a relationship. He has a book called Eight Dates and it's basically eight different dates where you, you do a theme, you know, today we're going to talk about family, you know, next time we're going to talk about sex and intimacy. I wouldn't do this, the same one all the time, but maybe you, you know, you develop a kind of um, routine of these kinds of questions, right? Of just kind of, it could be five questions that we ask each other uh, about, about, you know, about ourselves or some aspect. Um, I think that could be useful. I mean, I do, I do it, you know, with my own partner, we, we've done some of these exercises and, you know, sometimes they can feel, you know, you can feel kind of silly doing it, but I think, I think, um, I think, I think there's always something to, to learn in that process. So, so I think, yeah, making it, you know, it's, I think what's more important is that you're making intentional time, right? That it's, it's less about sometimes the, the questions or the content than it is yeah. about you're making, you're making an intention to, to be curious about your partner. And I think that that has a, has a good effect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, how do you think this, this questionnaire would impact one's relationship or their perception in life? Um, I think, I mean, I think the simple answer is it, it helps, it, it deepens your knowledge of your partner Mm -hmm. Um, and, and we're evolving creatures, right? Like when people, you know, we're, we're, we're dynamic. I think that that's really important. And that's, I think the, one of the lessons of psychotherapy, right? Is that it's, you know, we, we, you know, we have developmental changes and things that we feel passionate about or values we hold in our twenties and our thirties, you know, they change, right? So I think that that's also really, really important in a relationship because not only do we get stuck with our own obsolete knowledge of ourselves or our obsolete self-concept, right? Um, we, we can get rooted in that in our, in our partners, right? Like my partner, and this happens in a number of you know, areas. One, I see this a lot in sex therapy, right? Where people are like, yeah, this, you know, we used to just have a drink and you know, kind of, you know, go at it. It kind of worked. And it's like, no, it doesn't work anymore. I need something different. I need, yeah. you know, or, you know, my, my, my arousal has changed what I find, you know, exciting, stimulating changes. And, and that's important, right. To not, to not kind of buy into the, the notion of our partner at age 20 or 25. Yeah. Uh, but, but they're evolving. So, so that for me is, you know, this questionnaire, you could ask the same questions, right? I mean, you could do it in, in intervals and I, I would hope that you'd get different answers. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess people, people's needs and expectations change as they grow older as well. So it would be really important to reassess, um, periodically, um, do you, would you recommend this practice to everyone? Yeah, I'm trying to think of where it would be counterindicated. Um, yeah, I think, I think everyone can, again, benefit from uh, inquiring 
into our into our partner, right? Especially around their um, kind of symptomatic behavior, right? If we're talking about anxiety, if we're talking about um, you know fears, what you know panics, what keeps you up at night. Um, I, I think it's important. I think, uh, I, I, th- I, I, I can't, I'm trying to think if there's anyone that I wouldn't recommend it to, uh, you know, there might be some cases I think where in the instance of trauma, right. Yeah. Uh, if there's been significant trauma that, that, that some questions might evoke those memories and, and maybe it's not the right time. Right. Maybe maybe that's something to take to a trauma therapist and work out. So that's the only thing I can think about is that, you know, it's also okay to to withhold. Right. Um, To 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 say I'm not I'm not ready to talk about this. I mean, in the same way of like we talk about consent discourse. Right. Like it's okay to kind of say, you know, I'm sort of into this this much but not that much right and yeah. i think emotionally it's, it's psychologically it's the same so i would say <clears throat> yeah especially if there's trauma in in the background that that's something we want to navigate carefully and maybe that's something we do with a therapist right that 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 we we need a third party mm-hmm. um or here's the other thing i'll say if you are a very very what they call high conflict couple and where um, the question, you know, you feel like you you need, you can't get into even generic questions without getting into a massive fight that undermines right. yeah. the process and gives you a bad taste in your mouth. If you're one of those and they exist, then I think this will probably turn you off the process. Um, so that's probably someone, you know, a couple I wouldn't recommend it to. Right, right, right. And in that case, you would probably get um, a mediator such as um, a professional like yourself to step in uh, and mediate that conversation instead. Yeah, I think I think um, I think that would be would be best, you know, to. um, Yeah, because this happens a lot, too, where people try techniques and, you know, they it it turns into a, a big a big kind of violent outburst. And then they sort of say, oh, well, this is this is quackery and we're, we're not going to go back to it so yeah yeah for sure for sure um and finally do you have any other practice or habit um to combine with this questionnaire that you would recommend uh couples to employ mm-hmm. um well i think uh, are you talking about kind of outside of a therapeutic context yes yes but if therapy is what you would recommend, then therapy works too. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, I love, like I see a lot of couple, I do couples therapy, but I do feel like individual therapy is very, very helpful. And having, again, um, having a third party and maybe, maybe a therapist is part of it, but it could be a confidant, a friend or someone, but expanding this again, getting out of sometimes the couple bubble there, right. To kind of have some sort of oxygen. So, you know, maybe having a conversation with someone else about this practice or, or Mm -hmm. bringing some of those anxieties to another uh, perspective. I mean, this is always very risky because you never know, you could have someone who amplifies it, but I think, 
you know, that I'm just thinking like that's very helpful for many clients. I see that they have high anxiety and I see them as an individual. And a lot of what we talk about are reality testing those anxieties. And often your partner can't reality test that. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's that kind of the power of the neutral observer. So I don't know if that's, but I think that that's really important. So I don't know if there's a way you can do that on your own, but having that, that reality testing somehow um, is important. So it's, it's, it's not totally an independent practice, but I think uh, there, there might be a way to do that on your own. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, all right, uh, one more segment. We have a couple of questions that our audience members have sent in um, for you to answer that are relevant to the topic. So I'm just going to share them with you now. Uh, the first question, um, which I found very interesting, is how do you cope with the stress of dealing with an anxious partner? So you're saying if you have an anxious partner and it's giving a lot of stress to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I think some of the, uh, you know, some of the applica- some of the strategies we do for stress in general. Um, again, the biggest tool that couples therapists use are the the timeout, right? right. Which is. Um, it's again, it's kind of bread and butter, but it's the first thing. So if it, I, I think that that's, uh, that's, that's important. So if you're in an anxious entanglement, if you've got, that's causing you a lot of stress, I think that being able to, you know, physically say, I need a timeout, um, to take, take a break to identify. There's a lot of couples therapists who talk about kind of red flags when we get into stonewalling or contempt or uh, kind of, you know, different, different kind when, when it escalates into a certain level, we know that we're not going to be able to have uh, a good conversation here. So I right. think, <clears throat> you know, it's, I think that being able to, I guess, foresee or being able to, the seeds of a more escalated conversation and to kind of take steps to separate yourself from it. I think that's really important too, is to kind of own your own, own your own feelings and, and to be able to say, you know, this is, I'm finding this very stressful. Um, I need to take a walk or do some exercise. I mean, that's something I really learned as a couples therapist to kind of say, you know, we, we, we're only going to make things worse that I need to regulate myself a bit. I need to, and come back to this in, in another moment. So that's usually, I think, and, and to know that that's okay, right? That, that you can, you, you don't have to solve it all in that moment. But I think, I think identifying, uh, you know, being able to see when things are tipping and, and to separate, and to kind of separate yourself and self-regulate right. uh, is very important. Right. For sure. Um is dealing with trauma the same as dealing with relationship anxiety? Hmm. Dealing with trauma. Um, my, my initial answer is no. I think, I think there are some cases where relationship anxiety can be caused by trauma, but not necessarily. Um, 
So you can have a kind of an indifferent parent, right? You can have a parent who um, is kind of not wholly present or kind of doesn't, isn't consistent with their emotional display that can cause anxiety, but that's not necessarily trauma. Um, I'm not, you know, a total expert in, in trauma theory, uh, but that would be important to kind of, to look at, right? And that's where a kind of a good assessment would be able to say, is this anxiety caused from, again, kind of attachment issues, or is it from a real traumatic situation, right? So if we're dealing with, you know, significant emotional abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, um, you know, that, that I think involves a different kind of intervention. Uh, so, so I don't know. I hope that answers. I think you would need a different kind of assessment. So no, they're, they're not, you, I think you can have anxiety without trauma, mm -hmm. but I certainly think having trauma, especially if it's interpersonal, if it's, if it's familial, if it's relational trauma, that will definitely create anxiety in the relationship. Yeah. Um, and that, and that, you know, and that's a tricky kind of treatment and involves uh, a lot of different, um, actors. Uh, but, but yeah, so the, the short answer is no, but certainly, you know, trauma will produce a, a high degree of anxiety as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And final question. Um, I love this one and I hope my ex is listening to this. Uh, how do you break up with someone in order to not worsen their relationship anxiety? <laughs> how, do you, how do you break up with someone in, in order, order to, to not not worsen their relationship anxiety. Okay. In order to, to, is this like to break up with them and, and not create, not give them further anxiety or to, yeah. yeah. How do you break up with them in a nice way? Essentially. Yeah. Essentially. Um, okay. And, and okay, not then. kind of leave them with kind of issues going forward. Um, <laughs> Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's an interesting question. Um, so if I get it, so how to break up with someone and not create, you know, not be held, held responsible for their future relationships. Yeah, essentially. I think that's what this person is probably trying okay. to get at. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think how do how, I, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm versed in the art of the, the beautiful breakup. <laughs> um, but I, I guess I would say, I, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard to break up with someone. I don't think there's any easy way. And, and, you know, the thing is you, you will probably cause injury. I think that that's, you know, part of, part of that is recognizing that you can't, you know, you can't control what kind of impact you're going to have on someone. So kind of relieving yourself of that responsibility um, I mean, I think being honest, I mean, you know, is, is, is good, but it's, it's a tough, it's a tough one. I think certainly there's probably, I'm trying to think of what a traumatic, I don't know if, if you're thinking of something personally, I'm sure there are traumatic ways you can break up with someone. Yeah, um, for sure. I don't, I don't know what this person is referring to specifically. They haven't given an example um, I guess in my experience is that I have a personal history with mental health um, and my ex broke up with me because he couldn't deal with my mental health issues. 
uh, which mm-hmm. I don't grudge him for, but it's definitely set me up for some for some issues going forward. <sighs> so, yeah. yeah. So, like saying, you know, I can't. You're too much. Mm. Uh, you're 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 you know, you're you know you're you're crazy or something like that. Like you're you're like. Yeah, that kind of- I think he he was much nicer about the way he worded it. Um, because he okay. he was just um, I, he was just like I don't think I can actually um kind of handle what you're going through right now. Like, I don't think I have the tools to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that, that can be tough. Um, I mean, I'm thinking of things more like, you know, affairs, like the way, you know, kind of having things, those to me, I think can be more, you know, where things become secretive. Like at least right. your, you know, yeah. your ex-boyfriend. He kind of he said things, and he was like, "This is too much to for me." Mm. To me, yeah, it hurts, but I think it, it's on the table. I think sometimes the the the, the you know, if we want to call it ethical breakup, is is doing it that way rather than kind of often people won't communicate that, and but they'll they'll act on it, right? Yeah. So they'll kind of they'll start you know messaging someone and having like an emotional affair online with someone for a long, long time. Those things I think create um, relational distrust down the road. So I think, you know, and those are things that I've seen, right. Where, where they're like, Oh, my last boyfriend, like really, you know, he had an affair or people like he had an affair with my friend or my, you know, there was a real, there was a real kind of what we call an attachment injury there Mm -hmm. where it was like, he, he wanted to leave or he was drifting or he wasn't, you know, there was a lot of clarity, but it was acted out and then caught. Right. So I think, I think um, those things are much worse, right. Because there's a real sense of that, that the trust was broken and, and the, and, and I think that those are hard to harder to kind of um, repair in the future. Right. Cause you've got this real wound, um, you know, you know, sometimes people call it, you know, depending on the nature of it could be kind of legitimately traumatic. So, um, yeah, breakups hurt. Uh, but I think, I think, yeah, the, the more, you know, and, and it's easier said than done because sometimes, you know, we act unconsciously, right. And, and, you know, with phones and, and, you know, you know, you can be on your phone. I know this, people have been having affairs, like they're in the bed next to each other. And, you know, I've, I've heard of this in clients where the, the, the part, you know, the, the male partner is texting his girlfriend that he's having an affair with, with the, with the person in bed. Right. And I think when those things get discovered, those feel like a huge violation, right? Because yeah. you're, you're in our marital bed, you're in our bed together and you're with this woman, even though you're not physically with her, you're, you're psychologically, emotionally with her and you didn't tell me about it. Right. And I thought you were, you know, so those things I think are really ugly and, um, and those, so you want to not do that. Right. Right. So honesty (laughs) is key um, to, (laughs) Yeah, it's a little it's a little cliche, uh, you know, but but I think I think kind of yeah, and you know, the I I you know, we can we can re- we can repair from a lot of things too, right? Mm-hmm. So so even those things we can we can repair and and that's fine. But uh, but I'm just saying that is a of a different level, I think, than than just someone saying, 
you know, I'm just not into you or you're too much or, you know, they're, they're at least right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I, so I guess that brings us to the end of our episode, um, for now. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, we've had, I've had a great time. Uh, where can our audience find you? Yeah, uh, well, I'm I'm in uh, Canada, but the the magic of the uh, the the internet and the COVID generate you know the COVID era is that everything most of my clients are online, and I see a lot of clients uh, all all over you know Canada and, and internationally now, which is is quite exciting. Um, but I have a, a I use a clinical software called Jane App, so I I'm just my name Belacious. Uh, and and Jane software, but usually I'm also a, I blog for Psychology Today, which uh, I think probably is internet. It's based in New York, but I think uh, internet has yeah, international. it's definitely international. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I have a I, I recently became a blogger there for something called uh, my blog is called Our Devices Ourselves, and it's about um, uh, relationships, technology, mental health. I have a I have a background in communications as well, and I teach media studies at the university here. So so it's kind of an intersection of my my you know, kind of interest in relationships and mental health and and media culture and technology. All right, um, I'm Aditi Kuti. Uh, you've been listening to Reliscopes. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Reliscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. For more episodes like this from 10 different life management perspectives, search LMSL on YouTube, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, so you can get updated on everything we have to offer. We have a wide range of topics readily available for you to check out. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel, as it helps us grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found at re.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Aditi Kuti. Thanks for tuning in.